Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And I have once again with me my compatriot, Brian Russell. What's happening, Brian? Uh, it's another great day, uh, Frank, and we have another wonderful uh, text to work on. I think we're, we're up to the rich young ruler and the kingdom message that Jesus has for him on that day in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, this is the next reference to the kingdom of God. We're looking at all of them in the Gospels. This has a parallel passage in Matthew and in Luke. In Matthew, he is called young, this man that Jesus speaks to. In Luke, he is called a ruler. And here in Mark, he's rich. So that's how we get the rich young ruler. We put <laughs> we put all of them together. So let me read it here. It's in Mark 10, verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now let me hit pause there. In this day... The Jewish mindset, and he's speaking to Hebrew, Jewish people, was that wealth was a sign of God's blessing and God's pleasure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you see that in some circles uh, today that still see wealth and power as indications of one's blessedness. No, that's absolutely true. There's a whole segment of the Christian camp that's dedicated to not only presenting that idea that if you have wealth, if you have riches, God's blessing you, but also teaches you how to do that using various and sundry passages from scripture. The Jewish mindset was that if you were wealthy, you had God's favor and blessing. And if you were poor, you were cursed by God. God didn't like you. (laughs) So the disciples were astonished when Jesus said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, and how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now look at that. He repeats it. Yeah. <laughs> it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished. <laughs> so here they're astonished at first, and then they're greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But we have to back up to verse 17 to actually look at the context. As he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? All right, now keep in mind the phrase, inherit eternal life. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he, the rich young ruler, answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things have I kept from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him. Look at that. Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So in other words, he was rich. 
And then that's when Jesus said in verse 23, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now notice the rich young ruler was asking about how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus comes back and says, those who have riches, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of God. Once again, inheriting eternal life and entering the kingdom of God are synonymous. Yes. Yeah, Very important absolutely. to bring that out. Of course, inheriting eternal life in the future kingdom. The first thing we have to say is like, this is one of those texts that really bothers most of us, especially if we grow up in the United States, especially if you find yourself in the middle class or, or higher, or uh, mm -hmm. even, even sometimes the upper lower classes where you just accumulate a lot of things. And most folks are hoping really hoping that this text doesn't mean what it appears to mean. And in fact, uh, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. Some of your, some of our listeners will know that there's a story and I'm going to flat out say up front, it's not true that Jesus, when he talked that, that the explanation for um, it's harder, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for uh, someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, they say, well, what that really was, was there was this thing called the camel gate in Jerusalem. Have you ever heard that story, oh, Frank? Yes. It's an old preacher story. Yeah. Yep. And the idea was that to protect Jerusalem, when they put the wall around it, um, they had a gate that was low enough that was shaped like a kind of like a keyhole. And the camel gate, the camels would have to get down on their knees and crawl through this gate to get through as a way to protect it so there wasn't this big hole. But it was possible for the camel to get through. So in other words, that takes some of the force of Jesus's message away when you say that. But the problem with that, just like all great stories, is it's just flat out, it's a true. There was a camel's gate, but it's from the medieval period, which we're talking about hundreds of years ago versus there was no camel gate 2,000 years ago during Jesus's day. Yep. So what yep. Jesus is talking about, again, they didn't have little metal needles like we necessarily do now. They were, And they would have been bigger eyes than we have on some of the really precise things. But the image is still right. It's harder for a camel, or it's almost impossible, basically, is what Jesus is saying. Um, that's why the, G, the, the the disciples are confounded and they have to say, who can be saved? Right. And then what's God say? With For mortals, it's impossible, but not for God, for with God, all things are possible, mm. right? So, so first thing we want to say about what this text means is we need to take this really seriously because there's no little sneaky interpretation yeah. that makes it not mean what it says it means. Jesus is being really serious talking about wealth here. Now, let's also, you know, talk about our ideas of wealth, um, you know, today, like, you know, Frank already said that it was, there's, there's, there's certain theologies that it was assumed that the sign of being blessed by God was to have possession. So Jesus, you know, throws that, he just completely reverses that piece here and said, and says that wealth can be a hindrance because that's the problem with the with this rich person he does certain commands but basically you know what does wealth actually play in this person's life it's his god yeah so he can go through the motions and follow certain commands on the surface but his heart doesn't really belong to the lord his wealth is his god his possessions are his deity the thing is he's not in touch with that right, right. at all but when jesus said leave it all and he couldn't do it and he walked away sad. That was the moment where he realized, wow, I can't have both. I've got to make a choice. And I think for us, it's the same way. We do not realize how attached we are to money and possessions until we're asked to give them up. That's absolutely true. And that's, that's, that, that's the subtlety of, of really all forms of idolatry. Again, what's one of the 
you know, the seven deadly sins, greed and avarice. We want to accumulate stuff. And again, it's not like stuff's bad. You know, like if you would yeah. ask a person, would you prefer to have a mm-hmm. lot or would you prefer to have a little? I mean, there's, there's probably a category of enough that we probably ultimately need to talk about. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're going to choose between having being starving or having enough to support your family, of course, you're going to go with the possession. But the critical piece with idolatry is as soon as wealth becomes the stumbling block, meaning you've actually put it on par with God versus God being on top, that's when it's a problem. And Jesus is, is clarifies for this person. So for them to actually elevate God in the kingdom above that, this person has to let go of, um, of the very thing he holds on to. So, I mean, you know, so how do you make that practical, Frank? I mean, it's complicated. Most people are listening to have jobs. They may have a savings account. And we just went through 2020. And let's be honest, lots of people lost their job for yeah. no reason. I mean, it wasn't even anybody's fault. And folks that had saved money, they had an easier 2020, right? And, you know, in basic, you know, we talk about financial principles. It's good to have a little bit of a, you know, yeah. they call it an emergency fund. Because, again, a difference from the past and now is, most of the folks that are listening to Jesus, you know, what do they do for a living? They're farmers, right? And so no matter what, even if they didn't have a lot, they had a little plot of land, they got food, right? Today, you live in a city, you lose your job, you don't have a garden. This isn't necessarily an anti-business, anti-have-a-job-that-gives-you-money text. It's about our ultimate loyalty and to what extent that becomes our God and our ultimate security in the world. And, you know, this, this rich man that Jesus is talking to, he wants to add a little religion to his wealthy, easy life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is calling him to make a choice. It's like, this isn't about adding in something. This is about an all-in commitment to the kingdom. And your wealth has to come after your commitment to the kingdom. I want to read... Uh something by Thomas Schmidt, who was a scholar who uh, did incredible study in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, on every reference where Jesus talks about wealth. And I just want to quote him here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke present a consistently negative picture of wealth. The possession of wealth creates a false sense of security, the opposite of that complete dependence on God without which no one will be saved. The text's do not give a precise definition of wealth other than to suggest that any material possession has the potential to become valued more highly than God. Matthew 6, 19-20, Mark 12, 44. Every time Jesus offers an opinion about riches, it is negative. Every time he teaches about the use of wealth, he counsels disciples to give it away. For people who take the Bible seriously and who take Jesus most seriously of all, How seriously should we respond to these teachings about wealth? Proper use of wealth could be an enormously influential area of witness for believers, such that the world might begin to see this Christianity responding rather than contributing to the sin of materialism. We must hold on just as tenaciously to the words of Jesus about obedience as we do to the words of Paul about grace. How much of our wealth should we give away? More. Period. Quote, our love for God may be proved by something that is a major part of everyone's life, our use of money. End of quote. That's Charles Ryrie. How to make this practical, I'll give two things here. And let me just buttress the point by saying what Jesus said. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, those are chilling words and they're dramatic words. 
there's no other way to interpret that or dilute it or water it down because the disciples were dumbfounded and shocked. Yes. Right. And then Jesus said, all things are possible with God. In other words, God can cause a person to detach themselves from the love of wealth and possessions. But in terms of making this practical, I would just point people to the book Insurgents because I do go into this aspect of money, mammon, and wealth, and attachment to possessions, etc. And I give some very practical prescriptions on how to make this practical in your own life without being legalistic. Brian, you come from the Methodist tradition, and uh, you're plugged into that. And so tell us a little bit about John Wesley. I think it may help. Yeah, John Wesley, uh, he was a product of the 18th century uh, in he taught in sermons, and he has a sermon, if you want to look it up, it's Sermon 50, it's on the use of money, but and some of you may have heard this before, um, Wesley's famous for giving this advice about, about money and wealth. He said, um, gain all you can, which sort of sounds different than what Jesus just said, save all you can, give all you can. Hmm. So earn or gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And the reason that this is pretty good advice is again we, and you know the new testament talks about you you have to work it's assuming people are right. working and so That's you're right. going to earn you know resources paul was a tent maker so there's, this isn't an anti-work or fact of the matter is if you work and you know if you have certain skills you can actually pay a lot and but but the critical thing is when wesley's given that advice earn all you can it's because he has a big vision you know because money can be used as a tool to actually advance the kingdom yes. and to serve people. That's a principle that's really important, especially for us who live in the West, who are ridiculously more wealthy than most people that live on the planet and most people have ever lived on the planet. And so what Wesley's advice was, um, it was to earn all you can and save, but here's the thing, save doesn't mean accumulate. Mm. So I'm not literally supposed to like, okay, I earned. Hoard, no and then build up in like millions and millions of dollars and then die with you know millions of dollars <laughs> in the bank or whatever it's it's save and it's economize so i'm not just even earning money so i can you know suddenly go out and buy you know instead of having a modest car i decide i need to go out and buy a gold-plated car <laughs> or whatever or i have a, a nice home that's sufficient to buy myself a you know a mansion with 20 bedrooms and 30 bathrooms or something like like some of these mm-hmm. things it's about economizing so Christians, I mean, the word for us is not like, okay, money's bad, so I shouldn't do it. It's like, no, we need to be employed and ethically earn money to support ourselves. But then for Wesley, the idea was earn as much as you can, save. So guess what? You can be generous. That's right. And that's the picture, right? So it's um, even if like Wesley in his day, he published a lot of books and some of them sold really well. So I've heard that in today's dollars, Wesley would have been like, a, would have made made millions. But guess what? He used all that money to support the revival movement that he was launching, and he lived very simply. Mm. You know, there's Christian leaders, I'm not going to name people in our day, that basically give away 90% of what they earn. Or th- those are the models. And so I think when we read this, um, this is it's about stewardship. So money's a tool to advance the kingdom, but we have to recognize whatever we have in our hand, it's not ours. It's God's. I put it this way in the book Insurgents, which again, I talk about mammon and the spirit behind it and this whole business about forsaking all and making it practical. I talk about the kingdom work ethic, not the Protestant work ethic. Yes, yeah. And the kingdom work ethic aligns with what Jesus had to say about money and the dangers of it and the dangers of wealth. It's echoed in Paul, where he says in Ephesians 4:28, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give to him who has need. So the idea there is in the kingdom, labor, work is not just so you can meet your own needs. And it's certainly not so you can become a wealthy person with lots and lots of money that you sit on and buy luxurious items with. Work in the kingdom is so that you can support yourself, but also, and perhaps even more, to give to those in need. Yeah, that's, and that's what even what Wesley talked about. It was, um, and sometimes in the modern context, we talk about being minimalistic. Live simply so others can simply live. Other people talk about economizing, meaning commitment as a Christ follower. I'm not going to spend more on myself mm. or even on my family than is necessary for essentially a modest, useful, disciplined life. You know, like we can buy good food and all those kinds of things. But after that, it's all about contributing liberally and giving as much as we can. Like, who do you give the money to? You you give it to the people that don't have. And Mm -hmm. in in our world, we we live in, you know, we have plenty and want right next to each other in in so many contexts. But it's uh, it's about uh, giving money for the poor. I I think about one of my my students who has a ministry in Kissimmee, Florida, a former student. Um, Everything she does, it's all on her. She just had me for Bible. She does this really cool stuff, but she got a heart for all these families that happened after the Great Recession down in Kissimmee, down on 192, the street that kind of leads to Disney World. So it's so ironic. All these old hotels, all these people lost their houses like 12 years ago, and they literally just stay in motels along this mm. 192 corridor. It's so sad. You can look this up. in. The, in so she actually started an organization called Hope 192. I think that's the actual name for it. And, and like they literally serve all these families and children that are literally living in these you know old, beat-up motels rooms I've been doing there for a long time and so she's out there serving the poor and you know and I, I, I admire that kind of piece and that's the kind of place where I, you yeah. know, I want to send resources in those contexts yeah. um, and you know absolutely a person in your community maybe it's in your you know for somebody your neighbor you know that it's hurting really bad chip in maybe they can get this person a car help them to have clothes so they can get job mm-hmm. interviews there's so many ways that that's we right. can contribute even if we're persons of limited means most of us have more nice clothes in our closet that we really don't need. Give, mm-hmm. give those to people that, and, and, and let the other persons enjoy some nice clothes so that they can perhaps get that job interview or move ahead. So, I mean, there's just yep. so many little things that we can do regardless of whether we literally have like this rich person or even for a person's more modest means, we can always give and be a blessing to someone else. And that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the ways that the church was so powerful. It's one of the ways that the kingdom grew so powerfully in the early centuries of the Christ law movement. That's because right. the people were radically for yeah. each other yeah. in ways that were not so much anymore. Yeah. And in the first century, the believers gave to two things mainly, those in need and then the work of the kingdom. Yeah. The yeah. apostolic workers who proclaimed it and traveled and brought the gospel of the kingdom to various places. Well, there's so much more we can say yeah, about yeah. this, but I think for one episode, this should give a good introduction. And again, I go into more of it in the book and also in the masterclass, the Everlasting Domain Masterclass, which is part of the Deeper Christian Life Network. We treat this in more detail as well. I appreciate your contribution. And as a Methodist, sharing with us John Wesley, gain as much as you can so that you can save as much as you can so that you can give as much as you can and you have to put the so that's in there yeah, yeah. to really understand what he was saying no, absolutely absolutely and you know like one of my mentors always said um, the last thing to be converted in most people is their wallet or their purse <laughs> so the you know, last thing I like to say is make sure your wallet and your purse isn't the roadblock 
that's preventing you from entering the kingdom. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.